Amen. What a wonderful, glorious truth that Jesus died to forgive us our sins. He rose that we might be justified, and he has promised that he is coming again. What indeed a glorious day that will be. It fits in so perfectly with where we have come in our Bibles and in our study of 1 Peter. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to the epistle of 1 Peter? It's a fascinating chapter. We've looked at the first few verses, and in God's providence today, we come to a theme closely tied to the resurrection on what day of all days in the year? Resurrection Sunday. We're going to look especially this morning at 1 Peter chapter 3. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Follow with me as I read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The song we just heard saying of the one day he's coming again is tied in closely with the phrase here at the end of verse 5, in the last time. This morning, I'd like to talk about your inheritance. Did you know that this morning, if you are a believer, you are a child of God. And as a child of God, you are joint heir with Christ, And you have an inheritance. Now, when we think of inheritance, oftentimes we are very careful to not set our hopes upon any inheritance, right? Because um, sometimes there's nothing left by the time it comes around for inheritance to be left. But not so with this inheritance. I think of an inheritance that I received just last year. Just last year, I inherited my wife's grandfather's English library. And in going through that collection of books, we found many little treasures and many um, good books and many books that had sentimental value. And we found one book that was oh so carefully cared for, and it sits right here. But if you look at it closely, it's an old tattered, torn up book, and in fact, there's little pieces falling off. You see, this book is falling apart. It has red rot. In fact, in Evelyn's grandfather's attempts to preserve it, he had put it in a special plastic covering, which all that did was accelerate the red rot. It was a special book to him because he inherited it from his father. And it's a book 
that was given to his father when his father was Secretary General of the Republic of China by a Brigadier General from the United States Army. And it was a special gift that was given to him, and then he gave it to his son. And now I have it, but I'm going to pass it on to my brother-in-law because he has more interest in it than I do. Um, and it's, but it's a special book. It carries sentimental value, but look at it. It is falling apart. Um, even though Evelyn ordered special archival treatments and tried to treat the red rot and stop it and all, it's, it's, still, it's still just crumbling, this old book. Well, this is a special inheritance, but yet look at it. It's certainly corruptible. It is certainly falling apart. You know, inheritances, earthly inheritance, has a lot of parallel to this. You know, sometimes, by the time it comes for inheritance to be passed on, financial woes have come in and there's nothing left. In fact, sometimes, the one who would like to leave an inheritance doesn't even have enough to see himself or herself through the days upon this earth. The idea and the concept of inheritance is, is filled with uncertainty, isn't it? But not so with the inheritance we have as believers. Our inheritance is described here in verse 4 as an inheritance that is in corruptible. It is incorruptible. It cannot perish. It cannot be corrupted as time and moisture can destroy things in this world. As moth and rust comes to destroy things. Our inheritance cannot be that way. In fact, this word here translated undefiled is very good this way translated, but there's another nuance of the meaning, another sense to the Greek word also, as in being pillaged, as being um, conquered by enemies. This inheritance cannot be taken away, cannot be plundered by our enemies. Imagine with me how sacred and how special this would have been to the original audience of this letter. Christians, saints, the elect scattered throughout Asia Minor. A people persecuted, a people despised, a people falsely accused, yet a people who had faith in God and were elect by the Father. A people who are absolutely guaranteed an inheritance that nobody can take away and that cannot be corrupted. And that cannot be defiled. It is pure. And nor can it fade. The idea here is the fading away is like the idea of a flower fading away. Give these flowers here another week or so, and you know what they're going to do? Fade away. So often, earthly inheritances fade away. A point I wanted to make on the undefiled aspect of being pillaged and taken away. You don't have to worry about the attorneys sucking up all the inheritance here. 
And you don't have to worry about it wilting away as the flowers do or as inheritances so often fall away. No. This inheritance that is left for the believer is incorruptible and it is undefiled and it fades not away. Well, what is this inheritance? What is this inheritance? Well, we need to read verse 3 and we need to read verse 5 because actually all three verses are one sentence. And it's actually the focus not upon the inheritance. And the focus is not upon anything really except God. Look with me as I read through verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is the primary point of this entire sentence. All the talk about being born again, the glorious wonder of his abundant mercy causes us to cry out, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we read of being begotten again, it is because blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we read of the lively hope, not a dead hope, but a lively hope that's according to the resurrection of Jesus Christ or by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it causes us to say and to declare, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we read of the inheritance in verse 4, it causes us to declare, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we read of this inheritance being incorruptible and undefiled and one that does not fade away, it causes us to cry out, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we read of our inheritance reserved for us in heaven, it again causes us to cry out, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we are weak and frail and struggling in this life and wondering what tomorrow holds or what the future holds, even though we know of this blessed hope, this lively hope, and this promise of an inheritance, we know that we are kept by the power of God through faith. We are kept, which causes us, again, to cry out, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we look to the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, what does it cause us to do? It causes us to cry out, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning on this Resurrection Sunday, it is a day of blessing God. It is a day of adoring him. It is a day of lifting him up in his, dude, his, his, his rightful place as all-glorious. 
our God. May he be blessed. If you know anything about grammar, you know that in order for you to have a complete sentence, you need a subject and a verb and a direct object, right? Well, if you look closely, even in your English Bible here, you'll notice that this entire sentence doesn't have a verb. You say, well, wait a minute, it does too, right there, the second word of verse 3, be. If you look closely, the translators has given you a clue. Notice that be is in italics. In your King James Bible, italics doesn't mean emphasis, as it does so often in the way we write today. It's a clue to tell you that it is a word that the translators have provided. The translators have provided it to make it clear, because us English speakers, we need a subject and we need a verb. And so we needed a verb. And so the translators provided it. But in the original, in the original Greek, there's no verb. The verb's not there. It is simply blessed God. He is blessed. That's who he is. And so, of course, our natural, normal response, knowing that he is glorious, that he is blessed, is to bless him. So incredible is our God. All of this that we see is because of him. Last week, we looked at the significance of of being begotten again unto a lively hope. And we learned of how important it is for us to be born again. And we learned from John chapter 3 and other places that to be born again, one must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting him as their Savior. And it is then the Spirit of God that will regenerate you will cause you to be born again. And when you are born again, you are a new creature. You are a new creation. You are in Christ. You are united with him, resulting in a lively hope. A lively hope, not a dead hope. Think of inheritances. Inheritances are mixed bags, aren't they? There's something that you get, but yet you get it because someone died It's pretty morbid, isn't it? There are many occasions in which people don't like their inheritance and even reject their inheritance because of the association of the lost loved one that resulted in the inheritance. But isn't it fascinating that before this inheritance is introduced, we are told that we have a lively hope and we are told that the one by whom we receive this inheritance has risen from the dead. Now think of that. Receiving an inheritance. Would you rather have the inheritance or the loved one? We'd all say the loved one, I'd hope. The loved one we'd want. We want the loved one. Well, looky here. We get both. The loved one and the inheritance. You see, in order for there to be an inheritance, someone had to die. Do you know that? Someone had to die in order for there to be an inheritance. In fact, this is explained for us back a few pages in Hebrews. Turn with me back to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 is explaining to us the significance, the importance of Christ Jesus' death. His death. You know that Christ's death is important, just as is his resurrection. 
Now, this might seem obvious, but if he hadn't died, he wouldn't have risen. Part of his death was so that he could have victory over death. His death was significant, very important. And here we read about that in connection to our inheritance. Look with me. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. We read this. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who, through the eternal Spirit, offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Here is a question. Will you serve God? Consider how you've been purchased, how you've been cleansed. It's been because of the blood of Christ, the one who offered himself, the one who had no sins, so that he could cleanse us, so that we could serve the living God. And for this cause, he, that is Christ, is the mediator of the New Testament. Now, did you ever think of your Bible as the last will and testament of Jesus? Did you ever think of that? Read your New Testament again in that light. As you read through your New Testament, read it in the light of being the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. But I really shouldn't call it the last, should I? It is the last in a sense, but... uh, He's alive. Here he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. You see, the First Testament is the Old Testament, and very specifically, the Law of Moses. Do you know what the Law of Moses is? It is described as the ministration of death. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. The law condemns us all to death. But Jesus Christ came in the fullness of time and he gave his life a sacrifice as propitiation for our sins and the sins of everyone condemned by the law. Here, then resulting in a redemption and resulting then in the promise of eternal inheritance. Eternal inheritance. Now we saw over in 1 Peter, we had those descriptions of our inheritance. Think of this inheritance I have set in here on the pulpit. This was a gift from a United States Army Brigadier General to a Chinese diplomat. Passed once he gave it to his son. And in turn, he gave it to his grandson. 
the Brigadier General, the General Secretary, Evelyn's grandfather, they're all dead. You see, the inheritance has been passed on, but yet there's not been enjoyed for eternity. Not so with our inheritance. Our inheritance is an inheritance that is received, that is an eternal inheritance, one that we enjoy forever. And here we have in Hebrews the description of this inheritance coming to us because of the death of Jesus Christ. For look what it now says in verse 16. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. You know that, right? In order for the will or the testament, the last will and testament to be active, a death certificate must be produced. A certified one. In order for the testament, the promise of the inheritance, to be enacted, the testator has to die. The one who has given us an inheritance as the eternal son of God had to die. And that's exactly what he did. For where, verse 16, for where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. So in order for you and for me to receive this incredible, amazing, eternal inheritance, the one who's willing it to us had to die. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate the death. Now, why do we celebrate it? Because we know that it wasn't it wasn't a power that gripped him or held him. It was indeed death. Jesus did indeed die. But as we celebrate today, three days later, he of his own authority and power rose again, resulting in a lively hope. So now here, wouldn't that confuse the whole legal system of wills nowadays? Wouldn't it? Well, it would. What would happen if you produce a death certificate and then he came back to life? That'd be pretty spectacular, wouldn't that? Well, wouldn't it negate the will? Well, no, it wouldn't. And in this case, it wouldn't either. But in this case now here, we have the one who actually is the inheritance who is risen from the dead. We'll get to that in a minute. But jump here in Hebrews chapter 9 to verse 28 down to the last verse of this chapter, where it says this, So Christ once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin, unto salvation. He died so that the testament, the will, could be in full force so that we could receive an inheritance. He rose from the dead, and he has promised to come again. And when he comes again, all those that look to him, and this here is a beautiful picture of faith, looking to him in belief, in faith, in trust, 
they will have salvation. Salvation is part of the inheritance. That is in the context of 1 Peter. Turn with me back to 1 Peter chapter 1 and look with me at verse 5. We have here a salvation. A salvation that we are kept for. We are kept for this salvation. What is salvation? Well, salvation means to be rescued, to be delivered, to be saved. Each and every one of us are condemned and guilty before God. We have all broken his law. We have all sinned against him. All have sinned. There is none righteous, no, not one. We have all gone aside. We have all gone astray. We've gone after our own ways and not God's way. This has resulted in a condemnation, a judgment. Did you know this morning we are all heirs of something? Those who are not in Christ, those who have not received this inheritance of salvation, the Bible in Ephesians tells us, are heirs of wrath. Do you want to inherit wrath? I don't. I wouldn't. Well, we don't have to. We can inherit this salvation. This salvation through faith. By putting our faith and trust in the one who died for our sins and rose again. And then we receive an inheritance, not of wrath, but a lively hope, a salvation of everlasting life, and an inheritance that is God himself. What are you going to inherit? What are you going to inherit? This inheritance is incredible. Is it yours? Let's talk some more about the inheritance. There are several scriptures that describe us and receiving an inheritance and receiving it from God as children of God. In Romans chapter 8, which is a really incredible and fascinating chapter, dealing with sin, dealing with the curse of sin, and dealing with the hope that we have in Christ Jesus in spite of sin and because of his salvation work, It tells us in the middle of this chapter, Romans chapter 8 and verse 16 and 17, that the Spirit, here this is the Holy Spirit itself, beareth witness with our spirit, the spirit within us, our own, that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. And joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. You see, this whole idea of inheritance is given to us so that we can bless God in the midst of no matter what we face. No matter what suffering, no matter what trials, no matter what temptations we face, we can bless God because we have a lively hope in our God and in this inheritance. Here, it's just being described here of we suffer with him, but it's the anticipation of being glorified with him. 
is talking about the in the last times? You see, salvation is not just something that happens when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved. It does indeed happen there. But God's saving work actually continues throughout our lives. He delivers us and he gives us salvation throughout our lives. And this is an important truth that we cannot neglect. But also, not just does he give us deliverance throughout our lives, there's a day coming when we will be delivered of the curse of this world. And our very bodies, though they may die and return to the dust, will be delivered. We'll experience salvation. We'll experience resurrection. Just as Jesus rose from the dead. There lies a piece of that salvation. That salvation that will turn what is corruptible into incorruption. So when we bury a loved one who is sleeping in Jesus, we have a lively hope that we sorrow not as others sorrow that have no hope. For we look to that day when the great resurrection will come. And all those in Christ will be resurrected to everlasting life. And warning, those who have not trusted in Christ will be resurrected, it tells us in the scriptures, to everlasting damnation. Judgment in the lake of fire. You don't want to be heirs of wrath. This morning, trust Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and become a child of God joint heir with Christ. 1 John 3, 2 makes this promise. Beloved, beloved, that's speaking to Christians. Now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. We will be glorified in him. The Apostle Paul had a special ministry commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ to go forth to the Gentiles, beyond the Jewish people who would receive the law, but on to the Gentiles for this purpose, Jesus said, as recorded in Acts chapter 26, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith that is in me, Jesus says. So this morning, if you have faith in Jesus, you have an inheritance among them that are sanctified. Sanctified are those set apart. Again, reference back to 1 Peter in verse 2. There's the sanctification through the Spirit. Are you set apart by faith? You have this inheritance as well as the forgiveness of sins. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12, it tells us this, giving thanks unto the Father 
which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Uh, compare these scriptures. There in Acts, described as people in darkness, turn to light. Here now we have saints who are set apart, sanctified in light. And they are partakers of an inheritance. Partakers of an inheritance. And it says that he has made us meet. What's that mean? He, he, has, he has adopted us. He has put us into a position that by right of position as a child of God, justified and forgiven, we are partakers of an inheritance. What a glorious truth. And notice in Colossians 1.12, how does this begin? Very similar to 1 Peter 1. The admonition is this, giving thanks unto the Father. This morning, we need to bless God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we consider in our, in our inheritance and as we give thanks to him for it. In fact, did you know, if we look back here at 1 Peter chapter 5, there's something fascinating here. Think of it. Maybe, perhaps, you're one of those privileged who happens to be heir to a multi-million dollar estate or maybe even a billion dollar estate. Well, what guarantee do you have that you'll outlive the testator? The one who's willed it all to you. You may not make it. Huh? And somebody else will get it. Well, there's no fear for that here. Because you see here, this is an inheritance that's not only incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away. It is the inheritance reserved, guarded, guaranteed, kept in heaven for you. The word here, reserved in heaven, isn't just like there's a box somewhere in some corner with a sticky note on it that says, for so-and-so. No, no, no. Reserved here carries the idea of an entire military fortress guarding something. Guarding your inheritance. Nothing's going to take it away. It's reserved. It's guaranteed. It's for sure for you in heaven, the highest of places. Unless you worry that you won't make it there. Notice the you at the end of verse 4. It's not got a period after it. It's got a comma. That means we can't stop. We keep going, because now he's going to say something about the you. So here we have this inheritance reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God. So not only is your inheritance reserved, guarded in a Fort Knox times heavenly dimensions, it's not only your inheritance there guarded, but you are guarded. You are kept, reserved for that inheritance by the power of God. This is the power of dynamite, but the dynamite of God. Power, all-powerful, the omnipotence, all-powerful God is keeping, guarding you. That's awesome. Wow. That's awesome. He keeps you. 
Notice the next phrase. Through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So what's my job to get this inheritance? No job at all. It is nothing more but to believe in the one who guarantees it. Faith. I don't work for it. I don't earn it. I don't strive for it. I simply trust him. It's by faith. So no matter what I'm facing, no matter what I'm enduring, I can look beyond and above it all to an inheritance reserved for me. For me. And I simply trust him. I simply trust him. It is through faith, looking to that day. They sang earlier of the day. The day looking back to when Jesus died. The day when Jesus rose from the dead. And remember how the song continued? To the day he's coming again. One day. That's the day when we will experience and will be fully revealed the complete salvation of God as we inherit face-to-face in person our Savior. Thinking of this concept here of those who are kept by the power of God, it reminds me of Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14, which in talking of angels, says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Though we may encounter angels unawares, as is clearly taught in Hebrews chapter 12, the same book. Angels are actively involved as ministering spirits in our lives. And in context here of comparing Hebrews 1.14 over with 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 5, angels God uses in this aspect of keeping us by his power. By his power. Our inheritance. We've talked a lot about it. Isn't it exciting? It's wonderful. It's glorious. It is our salvation. But earlier I made a little comment. I said that salvation is only a part of it. And why did I say that? Well, do you know what is the earnest of our inheritance? Do you know what an earnest is? An earnest is a guarantee. An earnest is a down payment. An earnest says, here is a little bit, just a a little bit, to guarantee that the rest of it will come. Do you know what the little bit is of our inheritance that we have right now as a guarantee that the rest will come? I'm just curious. If you know, raise your hand. Oh, good. The rest of you, and all of you, turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 1. This is so exciting. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us about the earnest of our inheritance. And if we look here, it speaks of Christ and what he's done for us. 
In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, in whom, that is in Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance. By the way, Peter and Ephesians are very similar. In fact, they're, they're synonymous in many regards from two different perspectives. Ephesians is from the perspective of it's done. It's as good as done. Judicially, it is done. In fact, right now, you are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus and the very right hand of the throne of God. That's how you live. And you might say, well, wait a minute. It sure doesn't feel like it when this guy's beating me up and that guy's beating me up that I'm seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Doesn't make Ephesians false. Ephesians is still true judicially. De facto, it may not be yet. But judicially, it's true. First Peter is written from the other side perspective. It holds to all the same stuff, all the same realities, but it's from the perspective of down here. As strangers scattered, oppressed, downtrodden, persecuted, but yet both claim and look to the promises, the inheritance. Here in Ephesians, it's looking as if it's good as done. It's good as done in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, Ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. This is that salvation spoken of by Peter that in the last times, unto the praise of his glory. Do you see how similar it is? It's to the praise of his glory. All of it is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have an inheritance. And the seal of our inheritance isn't a sticky note. The seal is the Holy Spirit of God himself. And a moment ago, remember I asked you, what was the earnest? What was the guarantee that all of it would come? The Holy Spirit of promise sealed, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. The Holy Spirit is the little bit. It sounds blasphemous to even refer to the Holy Spirit that way. But it's the way it is. The Holy Spirit is the little bit of all this to come. Does that give you a picture of how great this inheritance is? This inheritance is God himself. We abiding with him forever. Tell me, would you rather have the things of the inheritance or the loved one in this inheritance? You get both. Beginning first and foremost with the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a glorious truth. God himself is our inheritance. And by the way, this is not unique nor new to the New Testament. 
This was foretold and prophesied and promised even in the days of the Old Testament. The psalmist, David, wrote in Psalm 16, verse 5, he says, The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. David understood this reality from an Old Testament perspective. That the Lord was his portion, the portion of his inheritance. Yes, indeed, we have the streets paved with gold in heaven. The gates are of precious stones. But the real glory and wonder of our inheritance is God himself. His presence. We united with him. And the psalmist spoke of that and sang of that in Psalm 16. Asaph, another songwriter um, that contributed to the book of Psalms. In Psalm 73 and verses 23 to 26, he sang this. Nevertheless, I am continually with me. Thou, God, hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Did you hear that? Your portion in this inheritance as joint heirs with Christ is God himself. Wow. Lamentations. You know what Lamentations is, right? It's a book, but you know what it means. Lamentations means crying. Crying in misery. Lamentations is a terrible book to read. It's one of those most sad books in the Bible. But at the same time, it's one of the most incredible books in the Bible. Because in the midst of horror, I mean horror, it's, 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 you hear about the genre of horror, Lamentations has it. But in the midst of all of the horror is so much hope. Some of the greatest exhortations of hope and promises are found in Lamentations. Let me bring your attention to Lamentations 3 and verse 24. Jerusalem, this is historically written in the time of Jerusalem being under siege by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. I won't go into the horrors of it right now, but it was a dreadful time. And in the midst of lamenting all of the horrors, as well as all of the sins of the nation, Jeremiah, who wrote Lamentations, in chapter 3, verse 24, declares this. The Lord is my portion. What's your portion in the inheritance? He says the Lord is his portion. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. Life gets rough. Life is terrible. But in the midst of all of life, we have hope. Because Jesus, the eternal son of God, 
loves us while we are yet sinners. He came to earth and died for us while we were yet sinners. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead so that you and I could receive salvation. We could receive the forgiveness of sins. We could become the children of God. We could be with him as the risen Christ. Joint heirs. We could, with our sins washed away, be the heirs receiving an inheritance of God himself. Wow! What hope do we have? It is a lively hope. It's not a hope of someone who is dead and buried in a grave, remaining there to this day from 2,000 years ago. No, it is a hope in one who died for us but rose again to give himself to us. And so, when we know that the Lord is my portion, the Lord is my portion, I say to my soul, hope in him. He is a lively hope. And so this day, it causes us to bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless, exalt, honor, lift him up, adore him who through his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. You who are kept by the power of God through faith and through salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein? Transition. What's our response to this? Wherein? Ye greatly rejoice. Today, no matter what we're facing, and these people here, he goes on and says, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now, for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. There was death and persecution and great suffering to the original audience receiving this letter. How much more for us today, who live in relative ease, do we forget our inheritance? So often we get caught up in the earthly inheritances we have, you know, preserving this poor pitiful book, which I found out you can actually buy on eBay for better condition than uh, for not very much money. But it doesn't have the inscription. What? We spend so much time focused on these things here on earth. Our gaze, our focus needs to rise to heaven to heaven, where we not only have our hope in our God, but we also lay up our treasures. We live our lives not in light of this earthly temporal time. This doesn't mean that we just be bums. No, we work faithfully and diligently in providing for our own and in providing for others and in laying up treasure in heaven. This morning, are you blessing God? Are you this morning rejoicing in?
him. If you have been saved, if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have this all. And today, as a born-again child of God, you can go forth blessing the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's rejoice in him. Perhaps this morning, he's not your father. He's not your Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have this lively hope, and you don't have this inheritance. Well, you have an inheritance, but not this inheritance. This morning, remember what we celebrate. We celebrate Jesus Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You this morning can have this inheritance by faith, by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you this morning too can bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our good God, we bless you this day. We praise you. We give thanks to you. We stand in awe of your glory, your mercy, your compassion, justice, righteousness, and love for all of us. Great God, we bless you and we rejoice in you this day as we celebrate the reality that Christ is our living hope. Lord Jesus, we give thanks to you. We thank you for dying for our sins, for being buried that day and you yourself rising yourself from the dead. We look for your return. We look for this last day when you come, when our salvation shall be complete in your presence. What a day that will be. Lord Jesus, when you left, you promised you'd come again. Lord, we long for your coming. And we pray even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We anticipate the completion of our salvation. We look to this inheritance. And Father, in the meantime, Lord Jesus and Holy Spirit, we pray you would continue to be with us as you have promised, and we rejoice knowing that you're keeping and will keep that promise. And may we continue in this life with joy and peace and in long-suffering, knowing that if we suffer with you, we will also be glorified with you. We look to that day of glory, our lively hope. We praise you and give thanks to you. And also this morning, we uphold to you each one here who has not this lively hope, each one who does not have this inheritance. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, move in those hearts. Show each one who you are. Draw them to yourself. And Father, I pray that they today would believe and trust completely and wholly and entirely and alone in you and receive this inheritance 
that they may join us in blessing you. For you alone are worthy of glory, honor, praise, and majesty. You are the blessed God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We bow before you. We humble ourselves before you in praise and adoration. You are good. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.